On today's episode of Trailer Talk with Ryan, I'm excited to share a very special guest with you. We will be discussing cycling, racing, and even a bit about overlanding. So buckle up, set the cruise control, and keep that bottle out of sight. Hello campers and welcome to another episode of Trailer Talk with Ryan. I'm Ryan, this is my trailer, and I'm talking. So today I have a guest, and I'm really excited that he's here. Uh, he was a, a cross-country racer as a youth. He's a creator of Chain Buster Racing, which is the premier racing production company in the Southeast. He's a founding member and currently the executive director of the Georgia Interscholastic Cycling League, better known as Georgia League. He's a devoted husband and dedicated father. And one of the few people I actually admire. So I present to you Kenny Super Pro Griffin. So Kenny, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a, it's a great honor. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the intro and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so today I wanted to talk, uh, you know, a couple things, uh, you know, your, your racing career, the Georgia league, all that good stuff. So we'll jump in with, um, with the Georgia league and, uh, and find out how, how that got started. How did you get involved? You know, Oh, I just make some more noises, but, uh, so, you know, the, the Georgia league has grown to this massive, thing that we have for the kids every year um, and it started really small um, just a few people uh, so how how did you get involved with that so back in June of 2013 um, the Georgia League founder Dan Brooks um, gave me a call um, we were connected by a mutual friend of ours uh, Mike Harris with psychology bike shop actually so Dan uh, knew Mike from servicing his bikes and asked him a couple questions if he knew um, somebody that he could wheel into the Georgia League on the production side. And he took me out to lunch to this fancy Mexican restaurant and bought me a margarita. <laughs> and um, the rest is kind of history. You know, uh, you cycling was something that uh, my wife and I, Nicole, were super passionate about. Um, back in the chain buster days, um, obviously because I've got a big youth cycling history and I contribute, um, a number of my life skills that I've learned that I use, um, as a foundation today in business and my personal life, um, back to the bike and learning those things through the bike. And so it was definitely something that resonated with me. And when Dan asked me to get involved and help, when um, he got you drunk. Yeah, exactly. When he, when he got you drunk, this took was, advantage of you. This was pre-Margarita number two, <laughs> by the way. Um, it was just a no-brainer for me. Um, and it was uh, an opportunity to um, you know, get behind a brand that was specifically targeted for youth and that would speak to youth and all the core values that um, people were starving to associate with. And that's, I jumped on board. Right on. Well, I'm glad you did. And so does everybody else. It's 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 so great to see all the families and all the kids out there just just doing everything together. It's it's unlike any other sports that uh, is offered to the kids. It's uh, it's amazing. It's like one big family reunion when they come out there for uh, the races. 
so thank you. Absolutely agree on all fronts for sure. Yeah, and I know for for my family personally, you know, we're we're all involved now. Uh, you know, both myself and Tiffany have uh, working on the course staff, uh, volunteer course staff, and then now the kids are actually involved in the league. Um, so just like so many other families, the whole family family can be involved, and uh, it's just so wonderful. It's it's great. Agree. I, I always say it attracts good people. Um, so you know, good people attract other people, and people are drawn to you know good things. And <sighs> well, it also attracts uh, people like Kent. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, speaking of Kent, uh, you know, th- this year, you know, I was doing the course marking with with our team of Kent and Jamie and Tiffany and Eric, and I think that was everything. Did I name her? Kent, Tiffany, Jamie, Jamie, mm-hmm. Eric. Yeah. Um, and we had so much fun. I mean, we actually look forward to coming out uh, every race race weekend and and uh, setting up the course. And, uh, you know, we even got those jerseys made that, uh, that were all matching and stuff. So it's, you know, it's more than just the family. It's bringing strangers together and, and, um, you just can't replace that. It's amazing. Absolutely. And obviously we have a good time as well. Yeah. I agree. So what, uh, can we expect for the Georgia league in 2021? Well, have you ever heard of NASCAR? No, I'm just kidding. NASCAR. So, 2021 is a NASCAR. It's a it's a big year of growth for us. You know, um, the current status of of uh, of our state with COVID and all the lovely restrictions that we had to operate within this year, um, really shined a light on on a number of things for us that we weren't necessarily looking at. So we have a huge opportunity to um, improve on a, on a number of things next year um, through what I would call a huge discovery phase this year. And, you know, you might say, well, wow, it's year seven, you know, what could you possibly discover? But, you know, this year really forced us to look at things from a different perspective and, and really reanalyze the needs of coaches and kids, especially through a time like this and um, that we're all going through. So, um, you know, look for a, maybe a, a bit of a refresh look and some, um, some, a bit of evolution to the curriculum for the coaches as well. Um, but same organization, same great programs, just um, a bit of a new look and feel. Right on. Yeah. Well, I know everybody's excited. We're all hoping that the uh, the COVID stuff is done with, and maybe we can get back to our regular race formats uh, for twenty twenty one. That'd be that'd be fantastic. Well, that's what we're pushing for. Yeah, right on, right on. Well, so in preparing for you, uh, your interview, I um, I read back through uh, an interview that you did for the Georgia uh, League Life magazine, and in it you mentioned that. Um, you did some cross country racing, like what ages nine through fourteen. That's right. Yeah. So what? Uh, how was that? Like, how did you get involved in that, and and what was your experience with those races? So my father was a mountain bike rider, um, a mountain biker, 
back in the early 80s. And so he had a, one of the first generation. Did they, have back then? they did, okay. yeah. So he actually owned a Diamondback first, the oh, way okay. I understand the story, which was um, um, rigid. And um, he went through several of those frames <laughs> uh, with Diamondback for, you know, because of, uh, you know, his, his use of them. He was breaking them. And so he started riding out at Kennesaw Mountain before mountain bikes were banned. And, um, and, it's kind of looked to as a pioneer of the sport, honestly, by a number of people. He's uh, still very much riding uh, to this day. He'll probably still ride us all under the table. He's a super fit, super. Well, I see human. him at the races. He's yeah. He he makes me feel bad when yeah. he's walking around. Yeah, pretty much running with your kids and and having fun. Yeah. Yeah, um, but that's how I was introduced to the sport, and so um, Dad used to leave the house to go mountain bike riding and. You know, wanted to spend time with him, so I had to get on a bike and learn how to follow his wheel. And so, um, started following his wheel and um, started riding recreationally around the southeast with him. And then he started racing actually first um, in the late '80s, and um, started attending his races. And then just sort of caught the bug from there. Um, I was a big cross country runner um, through school. Um, trail running by nature and um, just sort of all transitioned over to the bike too and um, I got uh, super passionate about trying to win some things um, in the southeast some series that were out there and so um, I just took a stab at it yeah well I know you're fast because when we ride uh, it's it's disheartening once uh once we once the trail points downhill and uh, you're riding a the seat post all the way up and I got my dropper all the way down and <laughs> you're on like a, a short travel bike and I'm on my big travel bike and and uh, you just disappear uh, out in front of me and then uh, you uh, graciously wait at the bottom and uh, uh, it's amazing so that's, that's great yeah well most of that is gone to be fully transparent all the endurance and muscle and all that stuff that was built back then. Um, but a uh, good thing, I think the skill sort of stays with you, the foundation of skills. So when I have momentum on my side, things are a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you were very fast when we were riding, uh, what was that, Flat Creek. That was awesome. That was great. Well, very cool. That's very, very, very cool. So did that, uh, racing when you were younger, did that, kind of lead you into starting the chain buster racing it did um i I guess the best way to start telling that story is um after that sort of nine to fourteen bracket i started you know school and and work like everybody else Mm -hmm. and um meanwhile that was occur when that was occurring uh my father was still racing mountain bikes and so um he called me up about five years later and said, hey, I'm going to go do this thing called a 12-hour race. And I was like, what's a 12-hour race? And he's like, well, you know, you ride your bike for as many laps as you can, and we pass the baton and so on and so forth. So he talked me and my other two brothers, which were not mountain bike riders at that point, right. into coming and uh, and riding some laps. And we're like, all right, Dad, well, we'll try to make one lap, and you ride nine. <laughs> and um, so on that platform that day um, – I 
Now, how old were you at this point? I was ni- 18 or 19. Okay. Somewhere still, in there. Okay. I think. Um, we need Nicole here for a memory check. <laughs> but uh, on that, that day, I, I realized that one of my high school coaches, um, Tim Schroer, um, owner of Dirty Spokes, put on mountain bike oh, races. Yeah. And it was actually hosting that 12-hour Fort Argo race there, there at that day in that point in time and um, caught up with him. And a fun fact is uh, Tim Shore was not only my coach, but he was my wife's coach, a tennis coach, and through high school as well. Wow, that is fun. And um, caught up, and um, he was like, hey, you've got a mountain bike background and um, want to come help me with some races, you know, you and Nicole. And we're like, sure, of course. And so it was through that process. I'm not quite sure what the timeline is on it, honestly, but it was either six months, a year, a couple years, something like that. And um, him and his wife uh, had built, were building a, a, a quickly growing company and um, wanted to sort of restructure their time and focus on, on uh, you know, different sections of their business. And so they decided to get out of the mountain bike scene and um, gave the opportunity for Nicole and I to sort of just jump right in there and um, keep the series going. And so when we did that, um, we got that opportunity from them very graciously. Um, we took that opportunity to make some changes and, and create a number of new things, and that sort of lays into the history of Chainbuster. That's amazing. I mean, that's amazing that you had that opportunity at that age and, and you had the vision. So when you, when you, t- when you began creating the Chain Buster Racing, uh, did you have a, a specific vision of what you wanted it to be? Like, you know, did you have a, a special audience or did you want to change certain aspects of how races were conducted? Well, good thing is, is we had a super healthy foundation to build off of. I think it was a I think it was a two or three race series at the time, and and forgive me if I'm butchering that, but, um, you know, Tim and Linda with Dirty Spokes always uh, wanted wanted to have a platform where a number of different types of mountain bikers could participate. Is from the way that I understood it. So, for Nicole and I, it was a platform to create memories, and so one of the things that we always talked about and loved was. You know, the Monday morning after the mountain bike races, think about how many stories and um, that people were telling their friends and their family and their friends were telling their family and they posted on social network and that was affecting their friends and family members and motivating people to be healthy and active and get out and make goals and and do things. And so for, for us, it was it was all about that. And it was about creating a platform that offered enough for the expert cyclists, the expert riders, the sport riders, the weekend warriors, and the, the new beginners, and really driving a culture of welcoming all of those people on that platform. And so that's really what we were, that, that's what our vision was, um, sure. and to do things that basically haven't been, hadn't been done in the racing and production scene. Yeah. Well, I know personally... Um, as an adult, I got into mountain biking, I think it was, uh, I think right around 2010 or 2010, however you say it. Uh, and so there were three of us, um, myself, Alan and, and Chris, who 
created a, a three-man team and did your uh, just having fun category. I think it was like the six-hour races uh, in 2011. And it was so fun because uh, we were all beginners. I was horribly out of shape. So, you know, just doing one lap took everything I had. And it was it, the environment of, of your races were so in, uh, inviting for, like you said, for everybody. So, you know, we got to see all the expert guys and gals, you know, they're, you know, we kind of, you know, uh, it was almost like um, uh, seeing like a celebrity type of person, you know, and, and we can, we can show up on our, our horrible bikes and, and we didn't fit into the Lycra very well and stuff like that. So it was, it was great to be able to be a part of the, that cycling community and, uh, and then to actually do the races and, and people are, you know, giving you thumbs ups and, 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 uh, encouraging you, even though they're passing you as like a car passing you almost that, that fast. Um, and then you, you were great, uh, um, hosting it, you know, uh, you, walking around and, and talking to everybody and making sure everybody's having a great time. So, um, just that whole environment was, was great for us beginners. Um, and then, you know, not to brag, but we did get the, <laughs> the season championship for the just having fun category. So I still have that Jersey and I break it out, you know, once in a while. Uh, I don't like to wear it on serious rides because it on the back in giant letters, it says 2011 series champion. It doesn't like have a an asterisk that says uh, it's the fat and slow category. <laughs> it just says series champion. Yeah. So I don't wear it with uh, with fast people because then they're like, yeah, you are very slow to be a champion. <laughs> I have the same experience with those jerseys. You know, <laughs> I used to obviously print an extra one every time. You know, it was business write off, get a jersey. Like, and yeah. people used to always ask me what I was a series champion of. I'm just like, I just own the company, man. I'm not a series champion. <laughs> But there was a couple of things that I think are would be uh, important for me to say along that experience is really to drive that culture to welcome all those people. We started doing a number of things, sort of grooming our racers in process with. So from staging starts, um, you know, driving awareness about all the different, you know, categories and, and experience levels when we were sending them out on course and how we were merging the rest of the field into it and really driving passing etiquette and encouragement and stuff like that. So a number of those things, you know, for anybody that's listening, that's part of the Georgia League family, right? Well, the, the two people. That yeah, are exactly. <laughs> well, um, there's a number of those sort of key drivers within our organization that are very important to us from, you know, raising our youth to being respectful and encouraging other people and, and being polite and knowing the etiquette and all those other things from safety and so on and so forth. So we really started doing a, a number of those things early on, which um, I didn't necessarily have the opportunity to see in other races that we were a part of. And I think that really contributed to the culture, sorry about pulling the cable, um, that, that was out there that you were able to experience. So that was, uh, that was something that was kind of special to me. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Now you said, uh, you know, when we're with the Georgia league and we have all these people now, you know, out there setting up the, the, the infield and in the course and all that stuff, when you were doing chain buster, you just had what you, Nicole and, 
and like some friends and family? I mean, you guys were pretty, pretty small, right? Yeah. Um, it was me and Nicole and my, my brother, my oldest brother, Brody and, and good buddy Dusty as kind of like the core group. Um, from there we were able to really start to, um, involve lower, local Sorba chapters okay. and the trail, um, advocacy piece. And we started, uh, really leveraging volunteer participation in the events to increase the safety and emergency and risk management response time and all those things. And as well as drive awareness in the community that like, Hey, we're not race promoters that are coming to trash the venue and leave, you know, sure. we're in this for the long run and we'd like to start helping kick back some money from this event to fund the, ma- the maintenance of the trails and the construction of the trails and so on and so forth. So there was a number floating out there at one point and I, I hate to even throw a number out, but um, I might have Nicole dig it back up, but I think between 2009 and 2015 or 16, I want to say there was like seventy to $90,000 we donated in to wow. Sorba Chapter. So it was a substantial amount of money for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It's so great that you're giving back to the to community uh, in so many ways. Yeah. yeah. Not just uh, providing the service to, to the cyclists. Um, now, well, it's not obvious, I guess, to, to those two people that are listening, but you don't own chain buster racing. Now Mm-mm. you're doing the, the Georgia league, um, was going to the Georgia league, the reason for, for moving away from the chain buster or, you know, what, what was the reason for that? Was it just time to, time to go or I guess at the end of the day, um, I had my hands in a number of things during the Chainbuster years, a um, couple different companies, and um, it was about business for the majority. It was about building business and um, providing a, an opportunity for my family, and at the same time achieving all the, you know, the personal, the personal vision of the company and doing the things, creating the opportunities that I had, you know the ability to experience at a young age, but it really started driving more towards the business side. And when the Georgia league came along, I was in a position in my life, uh, lucky enough to be in a position in my life, um, based on some of those other businesses, um, to make a choice, what I really wanted to do and pursue in my life. And so, um, I sort of curbed and, and got rid of all the business pieces and focused on the Georgia league because of the mission and the things that fell so close to home with me, um, I really felt like I not only had a unique skill set to allow me to help build the company and um, and achieve the mission to as many people as possible, but it was something that was really close to home for me, and so I also had the time. So I took a gamble and um, restructured my life. We moved up to Blue Ridge, Georgia, and... Um, right. And started building the Georgia League and expanding the mission. So it was really because of those reasons. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Now, now talking about your family, uh, you know, you have your beautiful wife, Nicole, and two lovely kids. um, And, you know, we see them at every race weekend. Uh, They're always there with your, uh, you know, your your camper and trailer and all that good stuff. How, and, and Nicole is, I mean, she's like a, like the critical piece to to every race race weekend and I'm sure like throughout the year she's 
she's doing uh, so much stuff behind the scenes. Uh, how, how is it having, like, your whole family is involved with the Georgia League and with cycling. Um, I mean, was that just like a, a natural progression? Or, you know, did you guys have to sit down and, and really map this out and, and talk about it? Or how, how did that how how did you bring that whole family into the into the Georgia League and cycling? Well, I'll definitely first talk to how uh, how we got there. I also like to do hard things by nature, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I saw you know in the cycling industry you know at that time in sort of that time period there was a lot of people saying I want to work in the cycling industry I want to do this for a living and. You know, I didn't know a ton about the industry-based uh, paths and opportunities from a from a uh, from a career standpoint. Okay. Um, I know I could go work for a bike company or you know sell a product or, or something something like that, but that's not my that's not my forte. Um, I just like to ride bikes. Right. And but I saw a whole other area of the industry that was kind of uncharted, and um, I saw a huge opportunity to build you know, business around it while still accomplishing, you know, personal, um, personal, um, things that fell close to my heart that I was passionate about basically. So that's how we got there and landed And Nicole's been a super supportive wife. I mean, she's, she's an incredible human being. Um, and she's very extremely supportive. So she supported me and along the way she became the timing software expert. Right. We were, um, we were at a point in time in in the business where um, I said, "This is smarter than me," and and I don't have the capability to learn it and do these things. So you know, would you be willing to learn this and be the expert? And she's like, "Yeah, sure." And so she learned it, and she's the one of the best timers that that I've ever even met at this point. Um, and so she's a she was a crucial part of that business and beyond timing. I mean. You know, she would, we would come home from our regular jobs and, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night and we would stuff prize bags till one or two in the morning, you know, and get equipment ready and just all kinds of stuff, make flyers. And so she helps out with so much more um, than just timing and still to the Georgia League, she handles like transaction processing and all these other things that whatever the things Wherever there is a need based on where we're building the organization upon that year, she just willingly fills in and learns it and does it. So she's a she's an incredible human being. So as far as migrating our family to the events and around the events, you know, it's one of those things. It's um, mountain biking as a culture and and sort of the community aspect and the feel of the events or just cyclists getting together, especially mountain bikers. Um you know, it's like you're a big family. And you made a comment earlier about the Georgia League, you know, feeling like a big family. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's the feeling you get when you're when you're around the sport and all the amazing things that are associated with it. So having our kids around those platforms is not necessarily such a bad thing, you know, and we were okay with that. We wanted them to experience those same things and, and grow up in those environments. So, you know, we've got pictures of Nicole timing races like 38 weeks pregnant right. having to prop her feet up on buckets because they were so swollen and then you know Lanier is in a sling at two weeks old you know in 25 degree weather at Jackrabbit with it snowing 
So they've just literally been around it and grown up in it. And I don't quite think they still understand what they're around. We try to do our best to explain it. But, um, you know, in the event that they fall in love with mountain biking and become diehard mountain bikers, I wouldn't object to it. There you go. (laughs) Well, they're a great, yeah, great family and and great uh, uh, community to to be involved in if if that is uh, what they decide to do. It's it's so great. And it's great to see the not just the kids participating in the races, but all the families on uh, surrounding it on the, on the skirt, you know, the outskirts of uh, the actual event themselves, all the family that comes there. Um, everybody's, you know, everybody's smiling. Everybody's having a fun time. Absolutely. Um, so it's, so thank you. And you know, everybody that has created the, the league, it's, it's just so, so wonderful to have. Um, so to, to, to shift gears, no pun intended, uh, we'll get away from cycling and, and get into the other stuff that you're doing. Um, it, it's amazing of all these these other uh, projects that you're working on simultaneously, and I don't know where you find the time, and I'm sure your coffee bill is, is extreme. <laughs> um, uh, so you are, are you developing some, some applications, or, or, or what, what's going on with that? I've, I've only heard a little bit, but... Yeah, so a couple years back... Um... My business partner and I, his name is Jeff Buck, we started working on um, a mobile app. So being really close to the league and interscholastic programs, all the things associated with running programs, safety, risk management, communication, all those things, we saw a huge need for um, a mobile application to solve a lot of problems. Being in the nonprofit world, um, you know, it's really hard to build a business that allows you to scale with a hundred employees to manage all of those things I just mentioned, safety, compliance, quality, assurance, tracking, exposure reporting, all those things, right? You want to be as resourceful as possible. And as any other nonprofit, you know, you want to make sure you're financially viable and in the process and make good decisions. So what we did was we created a mobile application that solved that problem for not only our organization, but organizations outside of mountain biking. So it can be inter- any sort of interscholastic or sports-based program from softball, baseball, basketball, cross-country, Nordic skiing, right? The foundation and the mechanics of running those programs are the same. And so although we tailored it specifically for mountain biking programs, uh, we built it on a broad base to be able to expand in other industries at some point when we had time to entertain that thought. So what we did was uh, we built Shred. It's a mobile application, and it focuses on a few key feature sets. It's communication, calendaring, um, scheduling, and safety and risk management and tracking. So um, I probably butchered some of those, but... Uh, it's about 90% in completion. Um, we were hot and heavy on it there for a while and, and negotiating a, a contract be, with it being implemented. And then some of those things fell through along with COVID this year. And, you know, it's just not the exact time for anyone to be making an investment and, sure. you know, a, a new product um, to, to implement in their organization. So it wasn't something that um, we built to be a, grand slam you know set us free it was just more along the lines of based on our experience our position that gave us a window to all these things and problems to solve and um 
you know, things to improve upon. Uh, it was just more so associated with everything else that that uh, I spend my time doing, trying to help and give back and all those things. So, um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's a product that we can't wait for it to be used, and and it'll be on the horizon here, maybe in the next year or so. But it's currently, just parked in its own parking spot over there. Right on. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. That's gonna change the way people run their organizations and make it so much easier. It really will, and it's got some feature sets that don't exist out there. I um, guess I could probably talk about it on here, but you know, through a check-in process, like for example, if 10 of us were going to go ride, we'd create a calendar event and say, hey, we're going to go ride at this time, this place, and we'd send out a little link, and everybody that has the app says, are you going to this event that was created by Ryan Miller? And you say, yeah, I'm going. So when you get to where you're going, um, it opens up what's called a check-in process. And so everybody goes into the app and can check in, say, like, I'm here, I'm going on the ride, bam, I hit a button. Well, at that point, it activates GPS tracking. And so at that point in time, you all can see where you're at on, a, on an API layered through Google. And so, you know, as far as losing wow. other people, right, if people take wrong turns or whatever, you can help track them down and see if they're moving from a risk management standpoint and all those things. So. Our club needs that. We have we have one guy, <coughs> Harrison. Uh, <laughs> he gets lost every single ride. So we, we definitely need that. Yeah. That that's a that's a key. So it, so I so it's more than just uh an application for for organizations to use it's for the end user it really is i mean it can be scaled to be used in a number of different applications wow. um it's just wasn't intended to be a primary focus for a business um it was just used to fix the problems that we were currently dealing with with teams and the leagues and add value and all those things and so um you know one day maybe we'll get the time to bring it to all those other markets yeah i hope so yeah you guys got to work on that soon (laughs) i'm tired of looking for for harrison (laughs) (laughs) um well that that's great uh and then i know you have a passion because uh you just look at your truck and your uh, camping setup for overlanding so uh and i mean i love the camping obviously uh and eric eric is uh has has been bitten by the the same bug, so it's, it's great to see you guys getting those trailers and whatnot. Has have you, you know, like how how long have you been into the overland? I mean, I, I, it, it seems like everybody's doing it now. Um, have is this something that you've, you know, enjoyed uh, a long time, or is it something that you just got kind of got into this last couple of years? So. Realistically, I think it started back when I was like eight or nine years old, honestly. Okay. And my older brothers and my buddy Dusty, who you hear me refer to, who's really my brother also, but they had, they were into camping and just sort of disappearing, going as far out as they could, exploring, having a good time, hiking, using four-wheel drive to get there. And, um, you know, basic level of of wilderness survival in certain scenarios and stuff like that. And so what basically that morphed into, and some of that originated in hiking the AT right, uh-huh. right here. Um, blood mountain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So some of it was blood mountain. Some of it was 
through such as when anyways we would go out hiking and stuff like that too so when they got old enough to drive they started investing in off-road jeeps and so they started modifying those jeeps to go further off-road with higher ground clearance and bells and whistles and things like that so we could get further out where nobody else had gone and and camp in the middle of nowhere so i was really raised around that from about not well honestly starting at nine all the way through as far as i can remember in different variations and um I was I was 11 years old. I remember getting um, pulling off the asphalt at some trail in North Georgia, and my brother was like, "You know how to drive yet?" I'm like, "Nope." <laughs> He's like, "Well, I just put it in four low, and here's how you work the clutch." And I drove for like six hours straight at night off road on this trail, oh and so it's just it's always been something I've been around. And so uh, fast forward to about three years ago. A friend of mine, Josh Cleave, who's the executive director for the Minnesota League, so same same program as the Georgia League, just in Minnesota. He's like, yeah, man, you know, we have a lot of the same things in common. You know, they've pretty much created a sport around it. It's called overlanding. And I'm like, what? It's a sport? Do you get trophies? And uh, he's like, no. So uh, here's typically some things that are associated with the new sport. And so I was like, Wow. There's a whole industry around it now with gear and support and all the things that we dreamed of, you know, back in the day when we were doing this. They had created it and, and created the technology to do it. So that's basically how I got into it was I started formalizing more of my gear to fit in the overland bucket over the last sort of three years and um, hooked up with my buddy Josh Cleave and started getting in trouble. Right on. Yeah, well, and, and now you have... Uh this badass uh, truck and this amazing trailer uh, was it a turtle. Is it turtle back? Yeah. Tur- turtle back expedition. Yeah. That thing is crazy. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how all everything, you know, the, the kitchen, the, the tent and the shower and all that stuff fits in this uh, incredibly uh, capable trailer. Uh, and, and your truck makes me uh, totally envious because <laughs> My little poultry F one fifty stands next to it and whimpers. Um, so that's great. Uh, and uh, you guys, you, you took your family out uh, out west uh, recently and and used it. Uh, I'm curious how how the kids did. How, how did they fare on that t- on that trip? I'm not quite sure what they're going to turn out to be when they grow up, but they've got the travel bug <laughs> big time. My my daughter actually just. We um, we have this girl that babysits for us, and um, w- you know it's that moment you come home and you talk to the babysitter, where like you know how the kids do and stuff. Right. And um, she said, um, Livy said that um, we're going to uh, Colorado. We're going snowboarding for her birthday next week, and it's just a girls only trip. <laughs> so it's just like things that come out of their mouth now, based on all the things they've been exposed to from a travel standpoint. It's just. It's just crazy, but they love it, man. Yeah. They they are um they're huge fans. We try to involve them in the process from planning, um, to budgeting to the history aspect because they're homeschooled. And so we really do try to use the trip to So Nicole is teaching them though, right? Not not you. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. Good. Yes. Good, good. Absolutely I was concerned. Zero contributions from my side <laughs> of the table. 
Um, so we try to do those things with them when we travel and, and, you know, they also have to pitch in and be part of the family and they're responsible for doing, you know, contributing in their own ways, um, you know, to be able to do it. So just got back fresh off a trip. It's like four or five weeks out West. Uh, we focused most of our time in New Mexico, Arizona, Southern Col- Southern California, and um, the southwest tip of Nevada. Okay. So. Yeah, that's beautiful out there. We love it. Yeah. It is. It's, it's so nice. It's so wide and open, and the sun, the sunrise and sunset is is beautiful out there. It's great. People always ask us a question like, you know, what is overlanding? I think it can be different for everybody. Sure. You know, just like mountain biking can be different for everybody, but. It's generally associated with um, a, another really great culture of people. Sure. So, some of the same similarities of mountain biking. And, you know, there's a big adventure component, right? Like, you know, the adventure component is, uh, you know, people say, be a kid, be adventurous. Well, uh, I'm an, I think I'm an adult, but uh, I, like to, I like to be adventurous too. And right. it's just all about mostly finding off-road trails that aren't necessarily accessible from a regular vehicle standpoint and taking those trails off-road to far rural, you know, remote locations that give amazing camping opportunities or history opportunities um, and seeing things from, from that angle. Yeah. Well, and I think, like you just said, it, it's, it's about the, you know, the difference between just going four-wheeling and overlanding is, uh, you know, overlanding has that, longer duration like you know you, you you'll camp for like a night or or a week or several weeks or whatever so i think I, I know at least in my mind that's what i think of when i think of overlanding because all the trucks look the same if it's an off-road truck or if it's an overlanding truck they they all have way more money into them than than uh uh normal normal rigs uh but it's 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 that experience that you're getting with the overlanding uh, instead of just going out and drinking a whole bunch of beer and getting your truck muddy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's something that's really important to me, too. I've got a big background in rock crawling. My brother owned a off-road fabrication shop for a number of years, so we were in a number of rock crawling clubs and stuff like that through these competitions. And um, that scene started to get, you know, the, the drinking and the party and started sure. to, to become really popular in that scene. And so that's honestly why we stepped out of that scene. Um but that's not that's not currently happening in the overland crowd. It's yeah. um you know we can have a couple beers and 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 have fun and all that stuff, but it's really more family yeah. sort of oriented and um, stuff like that. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So on this uh, last trip, uh, I so I know when I go four wheeling, I don't go overlanding. Uh, but when I go four wheeling, there's usually if I'm by myself, there's usually a moment of uh, oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think four low is gonna get me out of this, or or I you know like or maybe I should have got those tires before this trip <laughs> because it's a really long way down off this cliff. Yeah. Uh, and un- actually, unfortunately, uh, Tiffany was with me. Um, when we were looking for property up in Tennessee, we had that Ford Transit van, and it wasn't four wheel drive, but we lifted it and put those you know, off road tires on it and all that stuff. And so we 
we were way back in the middle of the, you know, on the forest roads, the gravel roads, and we, we saw this uh, for sale sign for some property. And the, the for sale sign was really old and, and fallen down. And the road that led up to it, it was definitely like a Jeep, a Jeep road. And, uh, but it was so gorgeous. It had this creek running down it. And uh, I said, oh, I said, you know, let's go check this out. And she's like, eh, you know, maybe we should just walk up it. And I'm like, no, 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 we'll drive up it. And so we start driving up and, and the road got skinnier and skinnier and more overgrown. And she's like, maybe we should, you know, stop here and walk. I'm like, nope, we're driving. I'm like, no, I, I got this. I got this. <laughs> and so we get up and uh, we get to the, uh, to a gate and there's, there's no turnaround. It's just a gate on the road. And uh, she's like, well, what do we do now? <laughs> And in my mind, I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> I'm in a two-wheel drive, 15-passenger van that is not off-road capable at all. You know, it looks really awesome, but there's like zero ability of it. Uh, so I was like, ah, don't worry about it. I got this, you know. And uh, so I started backing up. And luckily, we found like this, this small... Um, little u-shape uh pull-off area on on the road and keep in mind you know this creek is like right there eroding the road that we're on and uh so i'm like okay i could just back up into that and turn around do like a little three-point turn but from the road to the to the little turnout it 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 was like about a foot step up and there was like that red clay and so i was super nervous but uh, you know i had to like have that brave, you know, no stress face for, for Tiffany because she was, she was, she was getting a little nervous. I said, okay. I, I told her, I said, here's what we have to do. We have to back up fairly fast and I'm going to turn into that turnaround spot. I said, but I'm going to need speed to get up into that turnaround spot. <laughs> I said, but you know, it's going to be fine. And again, like in my head, I'm like, I'm going to have to do some like Dukes of Hazard stuff right here. <laughs> and so but I'm not going to tell her that. And so we back up and I just punched it. And so we're backing up and I whip the wheel and it goes, it starts to get up in the turnaround spot, but I didn't air down the tires. So the van hops and doesn't go all the way up. And the nose is like swinging around, like scraping the road. And I don't, I don't make it up into the back, the, the backup, the turnaround spot. All the way, so now we are perpendicular uh, to the road, with the nose hanging off the, the the road into the creek, and my back tires on the red clay, and they're just slipping and sliding. And so uh, she's she goes quiet, so that means she's very nervous and very scared. Um, I start talking faster. <laughs> So that means I'm scared and I'm nervous. And I was literally like, like, holy shit. Like, like if I don't wreck this van, that's like a good day. Like we're walking out of here. But long story short, I was able to, to make about a thousand micro forwards and backward turns and we got out of there. So, uh, you know, so I got to know with your brand new Overland trailer and your, your your brand new overland truck with all the all the goodies on it did you did you push the limits on your trip i did yeah <clears throat> and um 
I, I like to call it getting in trouble. But, um, you know, the Overland thing requires a, a, a really heavy amount of planning and due diligence, right? Because you're not just going to your, you know, one hour northeast off-road location that you've been to nine times and you know everything about it and you've got five or six different friends that have been there recently and tell you you know all the things that happen you're getting permits to go into wilderness areas with no cell phone coverage no ability to do research and you have to do all that research on the front end and organize it in a sense where you can use it real time going into those places and weather is played into it you know, somebody that recently has traveled to it plays plays into it. And um, my buddy Josh is the master at all of those things because nice. when I travel, I just like to drive and forget about things. Sure. <laughs> but, sure. Uh, but I did participate this year in, in doing a bunch of research, full transparency. So we're on the Mojave Road. And if, if you don't, if you've never heard of the Mojave Road, Google it or research it. And it's a 180-mile, roughly, off-road stretch going through the Mojave Preserve just southwest of Vegas. Wow. And it's, it's amazing. There's a ton of history behind it. We spend all day getting to this thing called the telephone. And, um, and you should look that up, too, on the Mojave. It's the telephone. So we're going on n- new tracks in the middle of a bunch of sand dunes. And we're following somebody's GPS tracks from 2016. That's the last person <laughs> that we could find that was approaching this telephone thing from this angle. And so um, we're arguably not on the right path. We're sinking in sand the whole time. It's very sketchy. And so we get there. And I got a big, you know, I've got a big off-road background. So my buddy Josh and Eric too, they were, they had just sort of peeled off the trip at that time. But whenever we get to a technical challenging area or some sort of feature, they're like, all right, Kenny, what do you think? And I'm always like stomp and steer. No pressure. <laughs> stomp and steer. <laughs> That's great. And, uh, but at any rate, there's this, this set of railroad tracks in the middle of nowhere. I mean. Still there. In the, yeah. Oh, very active. Ah. Like fast cargo trains coming through there and um the railroad tracks were pretty elevated right they were built up on a bunch of um a bunch of dirt and big rock and i've got a long wheelbase truck with a trailer and so i've played with railroad tracks a number of times throughout the years and some have bitten me and some have not because railroad tracks are really tricky especially if they're elevated and so especially with a long wheelbase. So I'm looking at him just like, ah, I'll run it. We're in the middle of the desert. And so I just start crawling up it and four low locked in the rear and, and my entire truck bottoms out across the entire set of railroad tracks. I'm talking full suspension dropout. Nothing's touching the ground. And I've got a 3000 pound trailer on the back. I've of course I have a winch in front, but there's nothing but a bunch of freaking small cactuses. There's nothing to winch to. Right. And this is why we travel in numbers, by the way. So my buddy actually swifts into motion very quickly, running frantically. He's like, don't do anything stupid, Kenny. Sit still. And don't he, do anything further stupid. And he, and, he, and he runs back to his forerunner and, um, and pulls out his cable. He's like, hook me up, hook me up. And I'm like, man, what is he, what is he, whatever, you know. And so hook up to the back of the trailer and um, I very quickly say, hey, kids. Um, y'all probably need to go ahead and get out of the truck <laughs> because we're sitting on a set of railroad tracks. Right. And um, he proceeds to pull me backwards off the railroad tracks, just a little bitty tug, you know. And um, 
and I get back down or whatever. Well, at that point in time, I was just like, you know, just a set of railroad tracks I bottomed down on, you know, no big deal or whatever, right? But over the next sort of two, three days, you know, on this Mojave Road, it came very close to this set of railroad tracks a number of times through the middle of the desert. And not only did I see a train running about 60 to 80 miles an hour on that set of tracks one time, but we saw about three to six times a day for the next two to three days. And so we got pretty lucky. Yeah. Well, and I was, I was wondering <laughs> if the story was going to end with like, as he pulled me off the train sped by. It wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, some sort of climax, you know, similarity to a movie or anything like that. But he was like, what were you going to do if you, you know, if we couldn't have got you off there? I was like, well, I was just going to pull the pin on the trailer and buy a new Raptor. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> new truck time. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was one, one example of getting in trouble out in the middle of the desert. Jesus. Well, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you made it back safely. And, uh, and everybody had a good time, but, um, all right. So we need to wrap it up so you can go to your next, uh, next adventure, next appointment, because you don't stand still for too long. <laughs> so I'm glad I had this time with you. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming. I hope you had fun and, uh, and I hope we're able to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and really enjoyed it. Uh, right on. Yeah, man. Trailer talk is brought to you by Carbo Rocket. Whether a weekend warrior or an ultra-endurance athlete, Carbo Rocket gives you the fuel you need to win. All natural and gluten-free, Carbo Rocket. Fuel smarter, go farther. So that's our show. And remember, campers, if you have any questions or requests, you can reach any one of our customer service representatives by shooting an email to trailertalkwithryan at gmail.com. Until next time, keep on camping, campers. <laughs>